My name is Jeanette. I am seven years old, and I live in Falls Church, Virginia. I am most excited about seeing a new area because most main characters are white, but this one is brown, like my mom, and has curly hair like me. This weekend, Disney's new live-action Little Mermaid hits theaters, a movie that's expected to be a big hit. That's because lots of kids, like Jeanette Mumford, are very excited about it. And so is post-pop culture reporter Helena Andrews-Dyer. I've been excited since they released the trailer where we saw just a tiny snippet of Halle Bailey singing Part of Your World. And everyone lost their mind over, like, one note, right? I was able to see the film last week. Now I'm excited to see what my two little ones think. Part of the reason for all of this excitement has to do with the fact that Bailey is a young Black actress, and she's playing the role of Ariel. Helena says this is a big moment for representation, but it could also influence a core Disney business. I feel like Disney's going to follow the money. They always are. And if this movie does incredibly well, we'll absolutely see more movies starring princesses who are of color. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Friday, May 26th. Today, we're talking about the new Little Mermaid movie, why it matters to parents and kids, and also how it is reinventing a big business for Disney, princesses. This is a live-action remake, right? Disney has been doing that a lot over the past couple of years where they're taking their old animated IP, um, Aladdin, Mulan, The Lion King, and turning it into a live-action movie with actual human people, right? Um, (laughs) So that's huge, one. And... Ariel, the star of Little Mermaid, everyone's favorite mermaid princess, is played by Halle Bailey, who is a woman of color. She is a black woman. The original Ariel was not black. She was white. She was also a mermaid. I don't know what mermaid racial identifications are, but she was white. Okay, so it's it's big. (laughs) Ariel, she looms so large in Disney princess culture because that character in that movie, the original 1989 animated movie, kickstarted, jumpstarted, created what we know as Disney princess culture. Mm-hmm. There were Disney princesses before her. We had Cinderella, who became a princess, Sleeping Beauty. Um, but Ariel in the 1989 animated version was 
the Disney princess, right? And so it's yeah. it's huge nostalgia-wise, right? I was, I'm going to date myself. I was nine years old in 1989. I saw Little Mermaid in the theater, right? And then six months later, my mother bought it on VHS, and I probably watched it every weekend several yeah, times. Like wore, a, you, you know? wore out the tape, I'm exactly. sure. I remember those days. <laughs> um, and now with the remake, my two girls can see it. Right? right. You know, they've seen the original and they like it, but now they have a, an Ariel who looks like them. Yeah. And, and do you know why Disney decided to make uh, a live action remake of Little Mermaid? Is it that they've, you know, done something similar with other movies when you say like intellectual property and like <laughs> taking these old ones, maybe making a new one and make is it a financial decision essentially that they're doing here? Well, yes, it is. The Walt Disney Company is a very powerful multinational <laughs> company, right? Yes, it's a financial decision. And part of it is because, you know, Disney has these great classic stories, right? These fairy tales are stories that don't get old. You can reimagine them and remake them for a new generation. And then what does that new generation do? They go to Disney World. They go to Disneyland. They go on a Disney cruise. They buy all the toys, all the princess dresses, right? You know, it is mm -hmm. it is reintroducing a classic story to a new generation for that new generation to be obsessed with it just as much as their mothers and fathers were. So, yeah, we're not going to—this is not going to stop, right? The live— action remake of old Disney properties, old Disney stories. That's They can do this ad infinitum. Right. Helena, I want to dig a little bit more into the fact that Disney cast a Black actress to play Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Um, do we know whether Disney, you know, set out to cast a Black actress in this role? Like, what, what went into this process? And, and what does it— mean? Like, what, what has been the reaction to this uh, decision? Well, no, they were not setting out to make Ariel black, right? They were looking for a phenomenal Ariel. And listen, I have seen the movie, and she is phenomenal. And I read that Rob Marshall, who directed the live-action remake, they brought in Halle Bailey, and she, I believe, was one of the first, if not the first actress they saw for the role. Wow. Yes, I was so nervous. I was like, oh my goodness, God, please just help me. And I walked in there and I was so pleased when I met Rob Marshall because he's so kind and he just was warm and I felt like, okay. And then they gave me the option to, you can start with whatever, you can sing first, you can act first. And so singing is my comfort zone. So I was like, I'm gonna just sing first. So I can close my eyes and get out all my nerves. And I remember I closed my eyes and I just belted out my heart and then I opened my eyes and everybody's crying. Oh! And, and my first instinct was like, oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> and just nobody could top her. You know, it, it was just, right. it was very much clear, um, according to reports that I've read, that she was who they were looking for. Ariel, as a character, has this innocence to her. She's a young girl who, you know, the story is, obviously, she is a mermaid. She lives under the sea. Um, but she's fascinated with the human world. She's fascinated with life on land. She's fascinated with all these trinkets, right, mm -hmm. that she finds from shipwrecks that are just indicative of and representative of growing up and growing into something different, right, and wanting a new adventure. And I think 
Hallie, she very much embodies that character. Yeah, and it's also like an example of this idea of maybe this is still quite prevalent in Hollywood when directors set out to cast a role, they have in mind a specific type of person and demographic, and then that can shut out a lot of really talented people who deserve to be in that role and could actually bring it to life in in a way that no one else could. So this sort of sounds a little bit like that. Um, I'm wondering, what is the history of Disney casting Black actors as princesses or in their princess films? Is, is, this, is this a seminal moment? Well, again, I'm going to date myself. Um, if you're familiar <laughs> that's with That's what we the, do here, right? you and I. <laughs> um, with, with, the, um, with ABC's remake of Cinderella, which starred the singer Brandy as Cinderella, Whoopi oh, yes. Goldberg was Prince Charming's mom. The great Whitney Houston played her fairy godmother. Yeah, classic movie. (laughs) Classic movie. And it was so incredible, right? And that was a very clear, that that was conscious, right? That was, we are going to retell this story in a diverse way. And people love that movie for those of us who have seen that movie. And that was made like over 25 years ago, right? Yes, absolutely. And so I think Disney is aware of it, right? When it comes to the Disney princesses, most of them are white. But you have Pocahontas, right? Pocahontas is problematic for several reasons. The the biggest one being that it rewrote history to where it was very feel-good, and that was not a feel-good story. You have Mulan, you have Tiana, um, Moana, Raya, um, but it's very much like one, right? There's like one Black princess. There is one Asian princess. There is one Pacific Islander princess, right? And I think there is a burden of representation in those aspects. And so what this remake does is allow, I think, Little kids of color, little black girls, little black boys who are watching, knowing that they are not only that they can see themselves and represent it in fantasy, right? This is a fantasy. We're talking about a mermaid. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> this this type of thing does exactly. not exist. <laughs> it's fantasy, but it's still something that they can feel connected to. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also important to revisit some of the criticisms that Disney did receive for lack of diversity in its movies and especially in these, like, roles that I know they're like kids roles or like, I don't know, they're, they're fantasy roles, but they, you know, children are watching this and that's that creates an impression on them. So, so maybe we can just revisit that a little bit. Like what has been the main critique or some of the main criticisms of Disney and how it did depict princesses and why did that matter? Well, a major one when it comes to Little Mermaid, right, is that she literally loses her voice. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Ursula takes yeah. her voice. She loses her voice. And she has to change her body, right? In order to enter this new world. In oh, order to then... <laughs> I don't know. I recently rewatched the old one. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I cannot believe that right? I watched this as a little girl. Like, Ursula yes. is the best character in the whole movie. <laughs> no, she really is. But I was, you know, that is a critique, right? And And... What's interesting that the experts that I talked to and talking about, you know, experts in media, early childhood education. I also talked to John Musker, who wrote and directed the animated film. And 
it was funny. He said to me, he's like, we never thought of it like that. He was like, we didn't think about her, you know, losing her voice, changing her body to get a guy. It was that she wanted to go on this adventure. She wanted to be independent, independent of her father, right? Mm. And go off on into this new world that she was unfamiliar with but was so fascinated by. And so that part of it, I think when kids watch it, they don't necessarily internalize. You know, they're they're watching it with six-year-old eyes. They're not watching right. it with, you know, uh, my 40-year-old mom eyes. And I think I talked to one expert and she said, it's important not to have to point out every single problematic part of the movie to your child. But she was like, if you're watching it with your child, just talk back to the screen and say like, oh, you know, I don't think you have to change your body and not speak in order to make a new friend. You know, <laughs> there are things that mm-hmm. you can talk to your kids about. But that was a major criticism of the original movie and another major criticism of the princess industrial complex is that the princesses were very passive, right? They weren't the leaders of their own story. They were waiting for someone to start their story for them, right? A classic example is the first princess movie, which was Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And the big song in that movie was Someday My Prince Will Come, right? Someone just wishing and hoping that someone's going to show up to save them. Um, And that storyline continues through a lot of princess movies until Disney started responding to that criticism and switching the narrative in a way to where the princesses were the stars of their own story, right? They were making things happen uh, and they weren't so passive and they were way more independent and marriage and romance and a prince wasn't necessarily the goal. When you look at other films like Moana, right? There, There isn't a romance in right, Moana. This is a right. girl going out on an adventure, learning a skill and going out on an adventure. Even with Princess and the Frog, Tiana very much lives in the real world and wants to work and start her own restaurant, right? And then, of course, the behemoth, which is Frozen. And the major quote-unquote love story in the original Frozen film was the love between two sisters. Mm -hmm. So I think Disney has been very receptive to criticism of some of the earlier princesses and have given us storylines where the young women are much more independent, spunky, you know, and they are seeking adventure as opposed to seeking marriage. Helena, I also wonder this new approach by Disney. I feel like I saw headlines back when the trailer for Little Mermaid was released about some people being upset that Disney cast a Black actress in this, in in what's like actually a fictional role. But does it go to this dynamic of a backlash to diversifying older properties? Like, how real is this backlash? Is it actually real? Is it big? Or is this just bluster among a small group of people and our parents by and large excited? I think by and large, parents absolutely love the new movies and the new messaging. I feel like it's made up controversy, right? That is interesting for the moment. But the idea that folks were up in arms that Halle Bailey would be cast as 
a fantastical character who doesn't exist in the real world, I don't think that's happening. No one's going to be picketing outside of the Mm -hmm. Little Mermaid Mm -hmm. um, premiere. And if anything, there's been such a celebration of the fact that little brown girls, little black girls can now see themselves in this character. And little black girls forever have had to watch white princesses traipse down the red carpet and not feel as if it spoke to them. So I feel like that's why we've seen these premieres with so many little black girls on them because that is part of their excitement. And it proves that, you know, even if you have a character like the Little Mermaid, like Ariel, and she is a black girl, everyone can still be excited about that universal story. But black girls especially can get excited about it. After the break, we dig into the Disney princess industry and why Ariel is so central to it. We'll be right back. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com. Helena, I want you to tell me a little bit more about this idea of the Disney princess industry or like the Disney <laughs> princess industrial complex. Yes, because it is absolutely I'm, I'm sort an of industrial around, complex. I'm around your age, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I grew up like swimming in the sea of all of these movies. Like I watched Beauty and the Beast, I don't know how many times, Little Mermaid, I don't know how many times. What is the Disney princess industry and and when did it start? What's really fascinating is that Disney didn't have this sort of like grand scheme in mind to create the princess industrial complex as we know it today, right? In fact, which is really funny, when it came to Little Mermaid, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the chairman of Walt Disney Studios at the time and was tasked with sort of reviving the animation unit, which had been struggling, he told John Musker, who was the writer and director of The Little Mermaid, oh, don't expect this movie to do too great. And and John told me this and he said, he asked, he was like, well, why? And he was like, well, you know, it's a girl movie. Girl movies don't do that great. What? That's amazing. (laughs) Right? You're like, are you serious? And so Little Mermaid exploded. It made $200 million um, global box office, right? VHS did even better. It wasn't immediately after Little Mermaid. It still took a minute for Disney to get it. And the story goes that there was a Disney CEO who went to go see Disney on ice. And saw that little girls were showing up to those performances with homemade princess gowns on. Mm. And this, and the CEO was like, oh, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is something that we should be selling. This is something that we should be marketing. This is a whole other part of the business. Um, And so I think around 2000, you know, Mermaid came out in 1989. So it was almost like a decade later when Disney was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Like, this is a thing. 
So how important are these characters then for Disney as a company? I mean, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is the movies make them some money, but it's really in the merchandising. So it is an important part of their business. Do we know how how important? I, I couldn't quantify it, but... I will say I we took our daughters to Disneyland in November and waited uh, maybe three hours to see Elsa and Anna. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> Patience of a off, Saint, Helena. <laughs> right? And we couldn't get off that line. Those two girls wanted their picture with Elsa and Anna. Like, and when you walk into the parks, right, the parks are, are a huge part of Disney's business, right? What's happening in the news right now, this fight that they're having in Florida— and a huge part of the parks are the princesses, right? Mm. You've got Mickey, you've got Minnie, you've got the Marvel Universe, you've got Cars. You have so many different worlds within Disney, right? And the princesses are huge and they're anchoring. I'm wondering with this new version of Little Mermaid, could this also open up the doors for more princess movie redos to include women of color or just having more original movies with with different kinds of actors and not even just trying to like remake things but make things from the jump with a different image as the princess. Absolutely. I feel like Disney's going to follow the money. They always are and if this movie does incredibly well, well absolutely see more movies starring princesses who are of color, right? And who might look differently. Like I thought I found it really interesting that Hallie has locks usually, right? And that's what Ariel has. Mm. It was even it was revolutionary for Ariel to have red hair in the animated feature so? in 1989. Because why would she have red hair, right? A princess has blonde hair. Mm. Um, so just having her had red hair was was so revolutionary. And people that I talked to, the first Ariel doll that they released did not have fully red hair because Disney product team didn't think anyone would buy a red-haired doll. Wow. So her so the original dolls, you might be able to find them on eBay, were kind of like strawberry blondish. You know, they're like, uh, blonde, blah, make it fiery. Uh, and nobody wanted it. Because they were like, this is not the girl from the movie. And, of course, then they released the one with their bright red hair, and it did gangbusters. So as soon as they do something and the market tells them, yes, we want more of this, we will get more of it, right? You know, even in this new remake, they did— Apparently, they rewrote, and it's something I didn't notice until someone told me after we had watched the movie. They no spoilers, re- please, Helena. <laughs> I'm not, no, no spoilers, no spoilers. But I will say that they tweaked, and and every, anyone who watches, like, sort of pay attention to this, they tweaked some of the lines from Kiss the Girl and from Poor Unfortunate Souls. Mm. Because if you think about it, Kiss the Girl, you know, not the most consent-positive song out there, right? Right. Um, And in Poor Unfortunate Souls, Ursula's big number, she talks about, you know, men not liking chatty women. Come on, they're not all that impressed with conversation. Two gentlemen avoid it when they can. But they don't soon inform on a lady who's withdrawn. It's she who holds her tongue who gets a man. Come on, you poor She's saying this because she's trying to trick Ariel. Um, but, you know, some of that was tweaked a little bit because Disney realized it, that didn't age too well. Yeah, and I know we've we've talked a bit about here 
how Disney's following the money and that there are also, this is not just like a, a, a moral stand that Disney <laughs> is making, but I do think it is important to just step back and, and you you talk about it yourself and, and the impact of even watching the trailer on your daughters. Why does it matter that these fictional, fantastical characters are being played by actresses who are not just only white and blonde um, and that you know that you, there is a, a Black Little Mermaid? Why why does this matter? I think the biggest impact it has in terms of representation is, you know, the princesses, they represent a beauty ideal, right? For better or worse. They also represent now the new princesses, this idea of heroinism and, you know, independence and, um, you know, spunk in a way that those are messages you want every little girl to feel like they're being spoken to. And when they can't see themselves on screen or they only see women who look like them in sort of ancillary roles, then perhaps they think then that message isn't for them, right? They can't be the main character. They can't be the girl that everyone aspires to be. And that is huge messaging, right? Even if... They don't know it. A four-year-old doesn't know, like, oh, I'm internalizing this message that I can't be the main character. We know that it's possible. And so just to see yourself, right, is is huge. I think the, the benefits of it, the advantages of it on self-esteem, they can't be understated. It's really, really impactful. Well, Helena, thank you so much for your time. Maybe I'll be at the theater with you and your kids. <laughs> <laughs> Helena Andrews-Dyer is a pop culture reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Taylor White with help from Jordan Marie Smith and Ariel Plotnick. It was edited by Monica Campbell and mixed by Sean Carter. Our team includes Maggie Penman, Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Monica Campbell, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Memorial Day weekend, so we'll be back Tuesday with more stories from The Washington Post. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.